Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is UXK. 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 I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo. Hello, UX Cake listeners, and welcome back. Today, I'm talking with Tamara Adlin. She's a UX strategy expert, a speaker, and an author. We spoke with Tamara back in Season 1, Episode 10, about creating alignment personas. You should definitely check that episode out. But this time, we're talking about a really important topic that plagues many of us and that Tamara's really passionate about. She's been sharing her wisdom in meetups and in conferences in Seattle. And I really wanted to make this this content available to the larger UX community because I think so many people have found it so valuable. So negotiating a salary or a title in UX in general is not easy. A lot of people struggle actually with translating their value in UX into business metrics. So this can be challenging for anyone, uh, but, but women in particular have other internal hurdles to jump as well. Research has shown that women are much more likely to discount their own experience and value when it comes to salaries and titles. And you know, we have a few other issues, like we don't wanna talk about money and we wanna take care of other people. Tamara has some really great specific and actionable advice for us. And although we're talking about women primarily in this episode, I think that a lot of this is applicable to anyone who feels that they really aren't great at negotiation. In this episode, we talk about how to find your superpower and assign a value to it, how to prepare for a successful negotiation, and a few key steps to remember when you're going through that negotiation process. Also, some really great advice if you are asking for a raise or promotion. Before we jump into this very interesting episode, I want to just take a moment to ask you for a favor. If you enjoy this podcast, and if you think that what we're doing is useful or important, there are some really simple steps you can do to help us. You can follow us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. You can like and reshare our posts. You can also go to our website at uxcake.co and subscribe to the newsletter. You'll get updates and bonus content, so you're getting something out of that also. And you can share this episode or any of our episodes with a friend. Okay, let's get on with the show. Thank you so much, Tamara, for joining me again on UX Cake. I'm delighted. So excited to be here. It was episode 10 that you were on UX Cake before, where you talked about aligning executives by doing alignment personas. Exactly. And after we talked, you said, hey, I want to come on and talk about negotiation skills for women, because this is something that you're super passionate about. And you've given talks about it, you know, at meetups and conferences. It's not your business. You're in the business of UX. I would like to start out with, why is it that you're so passionate about this? 
Well, yes, I'm in the business of UX and I'm pretty senior in the business of UX at this point in my career. And when you have been in something for a long time and gotten some success in it, it's usually because people have helped you out along the way. And I think all of us have bosses that we remember or colleagues that we remember or friends who have done really special and influential things for us that have helped us build our own career, our own confidence. And as you become older, you become that person who can give some advice or a different perspective that helps people out. And I love looking at things with a different perspective. That's part of what I do as a UXer. And it occurred to me that I had a different perspective on money and titles and the importance of being able to negotiate. And it's something that I always considered myself terrible at. And so I found myself telling more and more women about this and running into the same response every time, which was, oh God, I'm so bad at this. I don't know what I'm doing. And I realized there is no cavalry coming for women's equality and equity in the workplace and that we have to do it ourselves. And if we're going to have to do it ourselves, then we're going to need to get better at it. So I've just been collecting and putting together the things that have made me better at it that I find actually really practical and different from go look up the salary range. We're all ears. Tell me some of these things that you've employed to get better at it, because I think that it is really common and we have so many barriers internally and externally. What have you found a lot of women are experiencing? Well, the first thing I'll give you is my note that if you take a low salary, you're not just screwing with yourself. This is injecting a little guilt at the very beginning of the process, which growing up Jewish, it's all I know how to do. So I might as well start with the guilt. (laughs) When I'm in a room full of people in various parts of their career, I ask people to stand up who are one or two years into their career or people who have just graduated college and are looking for their first internship. And then I ask people who are two to five years in. And then all the people who are sitting, I say, look at all these people standing up. If you take the wrong salary or the wrong title, you're taking their salaries and their titles. And so it's not just about you and whether or not you feel like you deserve something. It's about the entire industry. And that's men and women, but especially women. It's also about women being able to embrace, you know, here is where I am in my career. Here's what I'm able to step up and do next. And it's important for me to do that, not just for me, but because I have to make room behind me. I think that's a different perspective, right? You really do have to think about the context of where you are in your career. And I will say about women, women tend to think of themselves as less qualified than they actually are. And there's lots of studies on this too. Studies that people quote all the time, that if a man sees a job description and sees one thing that he's qualified for, he thinks he's qualified. If a woman looks at a job description and sees one bullet out of 10 that she's not capable of or doesn't see herself as good at, she considers herself not qualified. This is vast thing against us. We're prone to take ourselves out of the running for advancing. You have a really good argument for why we should get better at it. I'm curious if you hear from a lot of women, I'm so bad at it because I hear the same thing. It's never been one of my strengths, I got to say. What is holding us back from getting better at it? Well, I think we think it's really super duper hard and there's all these books on negotiating and never split the difference and all of these sort of hardcore badass advice pieces out there. I think there's some much simpler stuff that we can do to fake it until we make it. And I'm still faking it until I make it. I mean, this is something all of us need help with. So that's what I'm focused on and I can dive into that. Well, yeah, I was just going to mention because something just sort of made me remember 
an important distinction to make when we're talking about negotiating and women, especially for anyone who might be managing women or who has a manager who's a woman, because what I've heard and I have lived this myself, is that women actually are very good at negotiating for others. It doesn't translate. We're terrible at negotiating for ourselves. We did not learn that skill, but we are very good at negotiating for others. I'm curious if you found that to be true as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it makes complete sense to me. I think we're very good at holding ourselves down and holding ourselves to a much higher standard. And I think we're really good at seeing those skills in others. And one of the things I talk about is needing to know your own superpowers. And I use that word very purposefully. Inside myself is a giant voice telling me, don't brag, don't be haughty. People will think you're an ass. You know, Don't say too much stuff about yourself, about how great you are. In fact, it's only recently that I've started presentations saying, I am very senior in this field. I'm all the way at the top. I've written books. I know what I'm doing. People know who I am. And even for me, it's hard to just embrace that. But saying it out loud is not just thing. It's just where I am. And I think knowing your superpowers, what I'm saying in that is there are some things that we are really good at. And often it's stuff that comes somewhat naturally to us. So for example, when I look at UI, this is just a simple one, I can immediately see for whatever reason, experience or I don't know, I can immediately see that this button is wrong and this should be a different color and really this should be in a different order and these things are going to be confusing. I don't know why it's so easy for me to see that, but I can. That's a superpower. It comes easily to me, but it doesn't come easily to everybody else. I decided to call it UX ray vision because I think that that's cute. The way (laughs) you get to your superpowers is you imagine someone who is your biggest fan describing you. You imagine situations in which people might say, oh, we really need to go get Lee, right? She'd be great at solving this problem. And it's important for you to figure those things out. You can do it with your friends. You have to own those and get past the sense that you're bragging because all you're doing is explaining your value proposition and differentiator as a product. That product is you. There are prizes people get if they hire you. Tell them what those prizes are. So I'm curious, there's the not wanting to brag about yourself, you know, not being comfortable with talking about your superpowers. But then there's also something that I've heard other people talking about when they talk about negotiation and the difficulty with it, which is just confidence. Even when you know you have a superpower, you may feel like, well, that's just not enough to ask for more, or I don't deserve to ask for more, what have you. So I'm curious if you see these, is owning your superpowers that part of creating greater confidence? I think it's a first step. Knowing your superpowers can help you get up the gumption to apply for things that you might otherwise think are out of your reach. The other way that they can be helpful is if you have no intention of leaving your current position or maybe should be considering a promotion, you know, that's helpful. But what you do at that point is you say, well, if this is a superpower, how can I associate this with the bottom line impact on my company or my project? You know, does this actually save some time? Does this result in arguably in better conversion? Are there numbers I can associate with this? I think you also really can't do this by yourself. I have this notion of a squad, which is different than just friends. It's friends and possibly even mentors that you can really sit down, stop, and talk about these things 
with them. You can work through like, what are my superpowers? What am I actually good at? You can also, and this is a topic for a little later in the conversation, talk to them about actual numbers. How much money are you actually making? We are so trained not to share that. But if you look at that from another point of view, you realize that the only benefit to not sharing salaries is to the companies. It's not really to us. Now, that's not true if you work in the same company with somebody. If you and I both worked at Microsoft, I wouldn't suggest that we'd share our salaries with each other. And why is that? I'm just curious. Your reasoning for that is? My reasoning for that is that it can make things almost immediately incredibly awkward and it can cause difficulties that are hard to solve. I actually don't have a great reason for that, except that it's just awkward. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's hard for me to figure out what the actions you would take after that are. Both of you are going to end up feeling weird and there's not much you can do about it as the problem. <laughs> Whereas if you are, let's say that you and I work at different companies and you're making $50,000 more than I am and our jobs are similar. Well, the action that comes out of that, first of all, is some envy that I have for you. And part of being a squad member is saying, I'm having a moment of envy. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's great. Okay. Okay. Now I'm past it. I should be making as much as you, right? Should I? And you say yes. And then we figure out a plan to get me there. That's interesting. So let's talk just a little bit more about this squad because it sounds like it's okay to have a squad of other people who maybe aren't good at negotiating either. To your point, remember you said before that women are really good at negotiating for each other? Ah, yes. This concept of the squad is something that I've just named that I've had for years. There are women in my network who started out as colleagues or started out as friends and have become both. It's not like we get together and we're like a squad in a restaurant. It's more like, although you can do that, it's more that I have these people that I call with specific things. One in Liza is in New York. And for many years, I called her when I had an opportunity to do a contract, but something was telling me that I shouldn't say yes. And she would help me say no. I would check with her first. There's another squad member I have who helped me figure out the right way that a business relationship should end which was a very different financial picture than I originally thought it should be. She also helped me make those emails and communications a lot shorter than I was going to make them. I was going to do paragraphs and she was like two sentences, that's it. (laughs) And there's others who I have said, this is how much I'm asking for. It feels like too much or too little. And they talk me through that because they have perspective I don't have. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable for many people to talk about money at all. Yeah, it is. But I think that we can get past that. I think what you have to do is sit down and say, I want to have this relationship with you. I want to be able to talk about money. It's not necessarily the case that I don't know what all of my squad members make at all. But if I'm negotiating for a new job or a new contract or whatever, there are people I can talk money with and I know I can. And they don't all have the same careers that I do. You know, one of them is an amazing graphic design agency owner. Another one is an incredible marketing person. Another one is in charge of community for a big startup. They're not all UX people. That eases it too. So, okay, we talked about get to know your superpowers and you need a squad. What are some other techniques or tips that you give people when you're talking about improving their negotiation skill? Okay, so still in the category of deciding whether or not you're worthy of a job right? Because we're the superpowers and having a squad and getting up the gumption to say, you know, I want more, whether that's a different place or at the same company you're at. There's another little rule that I call two weeks and two books. So remember I told you that there are studies, and there are, that say that if a woman sees 10 bullet points and sees one that she doesn't have, she'll disqualify herself. 
let's say it's a UX person and let's say there's a bullet point in there needs to be able to run search engine optimization and marketing for our, you know, mid-size community website, whatever the heck it is, right? I don't know anything about SEO and SEM. However, could I be good enough at that, be proficient at that in two weeks and with two books? Yes, I could because it's UX adjacent, right? If they said I had to become a sharpshooter to get this job, eh, it's not two weeks and two books, right? <laughs> like, or an airline pilot. But if I'm a UXer and they want me to do basic search engine optimization stuff, I could probably get good enough at that in two weeks and by reading two books. And so that's my little rule. If you see something like one or two or three bullet points on a job description and you don't think they fit you, don't take yourself out of the picture. And then what do you do to actually negotiate for that? Well, first you have to put yourself in the running, right? And you have to be able to speak competently about that. Then you have to, when you actually get to negotiating itself, and then we're talking about money and we're talking about titles. So one of the things when we get into actually asking for the value, right, which is money and titles, here's what you need to think about. And since I said titles, I'll hit this first. Titles always matter, especially for women. Now, I'm in the startup world, right? And inevitably in the startup world, you will hear titles don't really matter here. <laughs> sure. And I'll tell you what that is. That's bull. What that is, is a bunch of people who are working together who have not yet thought about how to handle the political challenge of adding hierarchy into their organization, but they have to, right? So we don't want to have a big organization with tons of VPs. Well, that's fine. I mean, my snippy response is, well, if they don't matter, then give me the one I want, (laughs) Uh (laughs) which is certainly something that you can say. And I think you have to know where you fit in. Right. So there was somebody that I helped to find a position at a startup that I was working with. And I pretty much insisted to him that he go for a VP title, even though he would be the first VP in the company, because it was very important that UX be at that level politically in the company. Right. So if they are not ready to do titles yet, then come up with a proposal and say that you want to review this in six months or a year or ask them for their org structure and see how the titles are netting out or ask them how they're planning to do this and be able to show them, this is where I'm going to fit in at the director level. If you see this role, let's say you're going to put at a director level in six months or a year. If you're looking at this role as one that would end up being under director level, it's not the right fit. Oh yeah. Okay. So that's a good way of looking at it. I mean, I still think every single regret that I've heard from people that I've worked with, often they get a salary that they're comfortable with inevitably, a few weeks, a month or two later, I should have fought harder for the title. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that as well. Yeah. And you really need a squad for that. And you need to be part of the solution. So the way to come to people in management is to give them a solution, not a problem. So you show them, you lay it out, you say, this is why UX and, and me especially belongs at this tier, because I have to be able to push on engineering. Now, that's interesting. So my question for you about titles was, maybe sort of tactical. It's difficult to research because titles in UX mean something so different at different companies. Maybe that's true with other disciplines as well. You know, when you're looking at a startup versus Amazon or a mid-sized company, a director level at one very large company is not going to be a director level at a at a startup. That sort of like makes it a little fuzzy, I think, especially for younger or for people who are newer to the industry, possibly. I think that's true. I think 
in that case, the more information you can get, the better. I mean, there are some ways that you can sort of snoopy sniff around and try to figure out what the hierarchy looks like in a company. Yeah, you know, one thing that I'll do sometimes, or I have done, is to look at people on LinkedIn at a similar size company with the title that I'd be looking for and see how much experience do they have. And is it less, more? I mean, I've been working for a really long time, so usually it's not more, but (laughs) for me personally, but I think that's one way of doing it. It is to find out what other people are in the industry. Yes. And it's also, I mean, certainly if it's like a director level that's in or senior level or junior or whatever that's being offered to you, that's in the job description, why not ask the recruiter, how many levels are there above this? How many levels are there below this? Right. Right. To gas them to show you what is it that you're actually offering me here? I think another really important thing to do that's sort of at the superpower level a little bit is really understand about yourself, whether your next job is about continuing or becoming a senior individual contributor or whether you really are on a management track in your own concept of your career. And understand that senior individual contributor roles have one set of titles and people who are sort of getting into team management or want to start having a few direct reports is a whole different category. And I think that is a very big distinction in our field, especially in many fields, that's really worth you thinking through. And both are valid pursuits. And certainly you can switch from one to another. You can be an individual contributor who decides in your next job, you want to try being in a position where you actually are managing some people so that you're a player coach. Or maybe you're sick of managing and you want to go into individual contributor. Yeah. So let's say that, okay, I've got the confidence. I've got my squad. I'm ready to do it. Are there any tips that you give people for preparing? Like if they haven't done it before or if they've had a bad experience in the past, what are some things that you have found to be successful in the actual negotiation itself? Okay. These are my favorite. These are like my little mind tricks. Okay. So obviously you need to go out there and figure out what it is you want to ask for. There are lots of other podcasts and articles on how do you find out what you're worth and whatever. I'm not going to talk about that. Here's step one. You need to realize a couple of things. One of the big ones for women is they're not going to get mad at you. Okay. So we think if I ask for, if the job says it pays 100000 and I ask for $150,000, they are going to get so pissed at me, they're no longer going to want to hire me. That's not what happens. They don't get mad. You might get a response like, well, oh, I should make this higher. Two hundred fifty dollars is outside of our range by a long shot, right? The highest anybody on the team gets is two hundred. dollars That gives you an opportunity not in the first 24 hours, which is a rule i give you next, but it gives you an opportunity to say, well, I'd like you to look into it. That's one thing you can say. Another thing you can say is you can come back later and say, well, I've thought about this and I'm so excited about this opportunity. You know, I think we could meet somewhere that makes sense for that, but that I'd like to talk about some other stuff like time off or whatever. Or you can just come back and capitulate and say, well, I understand that. I really do believe that 200 is the max, but I really want to do this. Although I wouldn't recommend just coming back and saying yes to whatever they said, but they won't get mad. They're not Mm going to get mad at you and they're not going to suddenly not be interested in you. Okay. So that's again, back to the, how you're going to get the nerve. And then here's how you do it. When you prep your brain for this, you have to realize that this is not a marathon. This is a very, very fast sprint. I think we get ourselves so nervous about like, it's my whole day tomorrow is about asking for this 
amount of money. Like I'm going to go in there and say, I want $250,000 for this position. And we, oh my God, it feels like we're going to go through this ringer that's like 24 hours long or something. The truth is it's 10 seconds. So there was this movie, which is kind of a crappy movie called We Bought a Zoo. <laughs> and it's Matt Damon and Scarlett Johansson. And ugh, anyway, both of them. Ugh. But <laughs> this guy, his wife dies, he comes back to his hometown and he buys this roadside zoo. And he's walking with his kids past this diner one day with a big play class window. And he says, kids, this is where I first saw your mother. She was sitting there eating and she was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my life. And I almost just kept walking because I was so nervous, but I didn't. I went in and I talked to her and she became your mother. And he said, the lesson in that is that sometimes you have to be really, really, really brave, but only for 10 seconds. Ah, yeah. (laughs) And that's what you have to do because you have to just say it. The number I have is the number I need is $250,000. And the way to do that is to say it over and over and over again in front of other people before you do that. Mm. And then you shut up. Shut up, shut up, shut up. The other thing we do is we negotiate with ourselves and we keep talking and we try to explain why we're worth $250,000 and where we got that number. And you know, it's really high, but and that maybe vacation time could balance it. No. (laughs) And then we talk ourselves out of it. (laughs) We don't do their job. Often you're talking to a recruiter not even a hiring manager. Sometimes you're talking to a hiring manager. Recruiters don't care, right? They're going to come back and they're going to immediately say why it's too high and it's ridiculous and blah, blah, blah. At that point, you say, well, that's really what I need to have happen here. And so why don't you look into it for me, right? And they can say, blah, 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 blah. And maybe they can give you other numbers or whatever. And then you say, well, I'd like you to look into this for me. And then I'll think about what you said. But that's pretty much it. When I've heard other people talking about negotiating and why people are so afraid or they psych themselves out. And people say, you know, maybe they've had really bad experiences with negotiating. Maybe it's for a raise and you're afraid that, you know, then it's not just getting a job, right? It's you have to have a relationship with that person that's your manager, typically, and it backfires, let's say. Like, I personally, I've never had that experience, but I have heard of it. So, Maybe the person didn't go about it the right way or what have you. I don't know. Have you heard about that? And do you talk to people about what to do when you're dealing with your manager asking for a raise, promotion, what have you? Well, it is different with asking for a raise. What I've just said is really all about negotiating, going into a new position. And with going into a new position, it's part of the deal you're supposed to negotiate. And so many people, so many recruiters that I've talked to have said, Sometimes I have to tell the women I'm talking to, to ask for more. It's like ridiculous. Mm. Your Mm. question wasn't about that. Your question was about getting a promotion or a raise. I think you have to do a lot of research in this case. Um, You have to make a business case for yourself, right? Which is different than a new job. You have to associate, you have to do some sniffy snooping around. You have to try to figure out what it would cost to replace you, which sometimes you can do by looking at open job postings. You have to see if you can find mentors who are pretty close to the situation. Listen, the long story short is the more you can create a business case for your raise, the better off you'll be. I think everyone should be tracking every project that they're doing and any kind of metrics they can collect. If you can show that you were part of a project that resulted in a 5% increase in conversion of whatever, you need to record it and keep notes on it in that way so that you'll be able to make a case for yourself that says, 
my work is directly related to the business goals of this company. My work is directly related to bottom line improvements of this company. Maybe it's in time savings, whatever it is, then you'll be in a much better place to argue for it. And if it's not right away, if raise is impossible right away, or the reaction is not immediately kind, you know, one of the things you could say is, can you look into this for me? You know, and can we come up with a plan to show me how I can get to where I'd like to be? Yeah, exactly. I mean, not every company has leveling guidelines, for example, but I have found that too many people really don't understand that they do need to have a plan with their manager to let their manager know that they do want to work towards a promotion and typically raise or what have you. And so making that plan with your manager is super important, but I think it's uncomfortable for people to, maybe it's women in particular, I don't know, but uncomfortable to admit that they want to move up the ladder. Well, it should never be inappropriate to say, I'd like to talk about my career development plan with you, my manager. Absolutely. So you can call it a career development plan. And that sort of is more generic, but always appropriate. And the thing that you then ask for is, I'd like to grow. And of course, I'd love more salary and more equity and more time off and all of those things because everybody would. And I'd like to expand and keep developing my career and keep growing in the company and helping the company in new and exciting ways. You know, in some ways, it's great for you to be able to come in and suggest things. So like, again, coming with solutions is such a powerful thing to do. You can say, I think we could all really benefit here from some grassroots user testing on a more regular basis, right? So I think that I would love to start a program where if we could get a budget of even a few hundred dollars, we could start using usertesting.com, let's say every Friday or whatever it is, right? Whatever it is that you'd like to do. The more you can come with ideas like that, the better. And even if they're the wrong ideas and they're not the right thing to do, this will help your manager see you as someone who is engaged, who is looking for new opportunities. And when these new projects come up, you can also tell them, please think of me when new things come up. I want to learn. I'm going to do it. Yeah, definitely. It's showing that leadership is important part of your relationship with your manager always. And career proactivity. And the other good thing about this is the reason you're bringing this up is because you want to stay. And that's another thing to tell them. I love it here. I really do. I want to keep going here. I can imagine myself here for years and years. In order to keep that super exciting for me, I want to have a plan for my own growth in that time as well. You just put it in a very positive way. You're not just whining and asking for something. You're saying, I love this. And let's figure out how to keep it so engaging that I just keep getting better and better and better. I'm curious if you have seen any issues in this regard, negotiation skills for women in the UX or creative fields in particular. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? All of us are so, we're still smarting as an industry from not being listened to for so many years, right? And we're still learning not to whine about it. And this is something that I talked about when last time we talked is, you know, we have to get more business oriented. We have to know what the business goals are for a project. We have to be able to help articulate those because often they're not articulated at all. And instead, what I think a lot of us do is get into a sort of sad mode instead or you know sad trombone noise mode about well you know 
they're not listening to us or they don't value design or they don't even understand what UX is or whatever it is. And we have to turn that into solution mode. It's our jobs to fix that. And I think your question was, is this sort of self-devaluing even stronger in the UX and certainly the design world? Absolutely. Because I think we feel that we're still seen as this sort of soft side of technology. And I think often we are. But I think that's partially our own fault because we don't. Like, who among you listening today keeps notes of every project you do and measurable, metric-driven results? How many of you start each project by trying to figure out a baseline number, that a needle that you're trying to move and how far you're trying to move it? It's hard to do those things. Right. And so I guess what you're saying is negotiating for people in our field in general is difficult. And so doing more research about the value that you're bringing in your role is even more important. Yes. I mean, thinking more like a business person. Mm -hmm. We do this all the time. We try to figure out how to make products speak in the language of users. Well, the language of our users is business. It's not as hard as you think to start thinking in a business-like way. They want to decrease some number by some amount, and they consider that to be a good result. If you can figure out what those things are and tie your work to those increases or decreases, then you're in a very good position. So as we are needing to wrap up, I'm curious if there are resources that you give to other people or recommend that people read or watch? Well, there's one more rule, which is a resource for people to never, ever, ever are you allowed to accept any offers within 24 hours of receiving it. They may tell you that you need to accept or reject it right now, but that's kind of bull. If they've already gotten you all the way to the point where they've given you an offer, they want you. You need to take that time to figure out what just happened (laughs) and you need to talk to your friends about it. So there's a hard and fast resource for you. Never ever, ever take any offer within 24 hours of getting it. And that's just not, not just the first one too. It could be some negotiated offer. Are there things that I recommend reading or looking at? Well, Ashby, Pfizer and I are, are probably going to start doing these one-day career kick-in-the-pants workshops, especially locally in Seattle. If anybody's interested in those, they can reach out to us and we'll figure out when we're going to schedule our first one, which will be sort of one day that's the equivalent of working with a career coach for a while, we hope, to help people really understand their own superpowers and narrow in on how to communicate what it is that's good for them. There's not a lot of books on negotiation or career stuff that I've actually read. So I don't know that there's particular resources that I can point to out there. I know they're out there though. Well, I know that whenever you often will do these talks with Ashby Pfizer, who listeners are going to hear Ashby on a panel for UX Cake. We're talking at the most recent Convey UX conference. So Ashby is kind of one of your squad, I guess. Yes, and she also mentors people on exactly this. Yeah. And so you guys have great talks that you give around Seattle, which I'm always happy to tweet out or even put into our newsletter so people can connect with UX Cake and find out what's happening. It would be really awesome if we could video your next one and maybe put it on our UX Cake channel. That would be pretty cool. Well, we'll have to figure something like that out. Because it sounds like something that a lot of folks are going to be interested in hearing. And it's definitely applicable to people in our field everywhere. Yes. And I have an article on squads that I put up on LinkedIn. 
It's called Elation Deflation, the responsibility of being an experienced woman in tech or any business. And if people reach out to me on LinkedIn with like a specific question about a number or something, I'm not taking on mentorships at this point just because my schedule doesn't allow it. But a quick back and forth on LinkedIn is something I'm always open to. And I've done with many people. And people can always follow you on LinkedIn. I don't know that very many people understand that you can follow people on LinkedIn. You don't have to actually connect, but you just put it out there that you're willing to connect with people. So that's awesome. And also your Twitter. So what is your Twitter? It's my full name, Tamara Adlin. Okay. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. Well, thank you so much, Tamara. This has been really wonderful and I really appreciate your time and I can't wait to listen and go to your next talk about this. Oh, it's my pleasure. And for all of you listening out there, you already know some of your own squad members. Sit down with them and talk about some of these things. Talk about talking about money, talking about helping each other. And you'll be amazed at the power and strength it gives you in your own confidence and your ability to advocate for yourself. That's excellent. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Always love UX Cake. Thank you, Lee. All right. Thanks. What a great conversation that was with Tamara. I loved it. I feel like we have a little work to do, though. Let's get comfortable talking about money and let's find some friends who can help us be realistic about our value. Friends who value us. And then let's ask for what we're worth without fear. If you have more questions about this topic, I would encourage you to take Tamara up on her offer. I mean, like she put it out there, man. Send your questions to Tamara via LinkedIn or Twitter. And uh, if you're looking for even more resources, I recently found a really awesome source online. Go to this website called Ladies Get Paid. Dot com. I, I just checked this out today and it's pretty amazing. You're going to find articles and webinars and events and uh, so many resources. If you're interested in today's episode, then you would definitely be interested in ladiesgetpaid.com. It's totally legit. This is not like, a, like it does sort of sound like an, an advert. It's not, it's not an advert. It's a total legit website. But while we're talking about value... I know that a lot of people really do value the content in this podcast, in UXK. And this is a labor of love. We are a small team of volunteers. We don't get paid. (laughs) Not yet. Someday. And we're really dedicated to getting great content out there to help strengthen our community. Really, that's what drives us. So if you're enjoying this content, help us out. Spread the word on social media, actually share the site or share an episode and say what you liked about that episode. We could also use more reviews on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. You can get all the show notes and links and subscribe for our newsletter at uxcake.co. UX life is hard, so eat more cake.